Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Mr. Kelly, before you slip out, yes. Labor Day weekend, do you guys have yes. tradition for Labor Day weekend? No, we don't. Really? No, we'll just uh, play around the house a little bit, maybe go out to lunch one day. Dribble a basketball? Something exciting like that? No, maybe shoot a hockey puck. Ah. Yeah, but that's hard to do because you break things. Yeah, so. Don't hit it so hard. Well, a puck is pretty hard. Is it? <laughs> Even if you don't shoot it hard, it can do damage for sure. No, we really don't. Uh, it's just kind of whatever happens. Ah. I work a lot of Labor Days. Really? A lot of, so, yeah. So, you yeah. sound raspy. Yeah, I know. I, yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna blame the weather for this. I you know it happens. Okay. Yeah. So go Thanks. ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, go ahead and do a show. Hey, it was great filling in for you last week. You have the best callers. They were so nice, and uh, we really enjoyed it. Thank you. So was it June Hudson? It was. All right. Yeah. Great. She's great. Yeah. Yeah. We worked together at the Botanical Garden many decades ago. Yeah. She she did a great job, but it's also very good to have you back. Ah. Well, thank you. Yes. Oh, I'm glad I had the valet parking. <laughs> okay, folks, welcome. Thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Alex is running the board. Alex, who's taking the phone calls? Carl's taking the phone calls right. today. Carl, thanks for taking the phone calls. If we have any, oh, I'm a little bit worried. My armpits are wet from sweat. On Saturday mornings, we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard, your front or your side landscape. How about that specialty garden space? Um, hmm, the taste of the tropics, those houseplants. Start checking them out because they're going to have to be coming in soon. Well, not really soon, a couple months. But uh, potting mixes, how to improve your soil, shearing, pruning. How to, What was that bug? Oh, a lot of stink bugs out uh, I saw in my yard when we got home. Anyway, information is presented to you to help you make good decisions. But my thoughts and orchestration will, uh, it's not the only garden path, as you well know. Final judgment is going to be yours. So this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player, as I said before, is Alex and actually Carl, too. Carl's answering the phone. Boy, this show must be really complicated. Now we have to have two people instead of just one. Anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And I can come to your home and do landscape consultation, which I call a walk and talk. Today, my walk and talk is going to be in Granite City after the show. And you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage has my email address and phone number where I can be reached. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations and uh, Internet as well. And today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Ah, gray sky. Farmers, marketeers, those vendors were setting up. A cool breeze. Crickets were singing. And a lee of ginkgo trees and yews led back to the entrance of Cutstone granite and wrought iron, which had gold tips. New pedestrian transition from the streets up onto the sidewalks. Where is this? Well, it's the intersection of Arsenal and Center Cross Drive. There's some new islands there, which is going to be for the stoplights. They're just being finished. Where is this? Well, this is Tower Grove Park. And at the entrance there, Canna's with their dark red vertical foliage, was dancing in the breeze. Coleus, almost as big as some shrubs. Wow, they were impressive. Transition downward to colorful yellow lantana and Mexican daisies. Blue juniper berries were kind of scattered around like confetti. 
The lawn staging, well, it was a little bit beat up by the construction, but not too bad. Bicyclists zip by and uh, view when you step inside of Tower Grove Park, looking northward. Oh, man, that transition between the tree, shrub, and lawn is quite striking. Thanks to Henry Shaw for giving us not only Tower Grove Park, but the Missouri Botanical Garden and the Shaw Arboretum as well. The Shaw Arboretum is in Gray Summit. Time flies by, so I must move on. So just like the clouds, clouds were really wisping up there high in the sky. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, this is the time of year where a lot of action that you take now is going to have a huge impact on how your garden, your lawn, and everything else works next year. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Carl will be answering the phone. Like I said, this show is so complicated, I need two support people. Is that unbelievable? Uh, last week, I was not here. You might not have recognized, but uh, thanks to June Hudson. I've known June for a long, long time. We worked at the Botanical Garden together. After I left, she stayed there, and I believe she retired from there. Also, June Hudson and Cindy Gilberg and Ken Miller, uh, we used to give seminars all over the country. We'd fly in, and uh, you know, basically the same kind of climates that we have here, but any place between here and there, all the way to Philadelphia to, uh, let's see, how far west did we go? Hmm, I can't remember. Kansas City. Anyway. Last week, I was in New York. Tracy and I went up. Tracy's very much into musicals. So uh, we decided, or she decided, it's her choice. There's a musical. It's fairly new. It's called Come From Away. And what this is is a musical about the town of Gander, Newfoundland. Gander, Newfoundland happens to be a town where all the planes that were not able to land in New York on 9-11 were diverted there. Why there? Well, they had a huge airport, which basically became dysfunctional when airline or jets became, let's say, had bigger gas tanks in their wings or wherever they are, and they weren't. it wasn't necessary for them to stop on transatlantic sh- uh, flights. So this is based upon the town of Gander, all these, pe- all these diverted flights that were trying to get into New York that couldn't on 9-11. It was interaction between the passengers and the people in Gander. It, it was pretty good. And so we thoroughly enjoyed that. Also, what we did is we went to uh, the Auschwitz exhibit at the Jewish Museum and went to the New York Botanical Garden. Very, very interesting botanical garden. 250 acres. It's kind of like taking the Botanical Garden and Tower Grove Park and combining them, sort of unplugging the things at the Botanical Garden and just plugging them in different places in Tower Grove Park. So there was a lot of walking there. And they do have a tram, but I guess they only have one tram because the tram was broken. So you could you had to walk the whole time. So that was a little bit, you know, got a little bit laborious. But the most interesting thing I found is they had, within all the tropical you know, annuals and everything else, plant material, they had palm trees and a lot of other uh, tropical-type trees. Unbelievable. And so there was somebody there working maintenance-wise, and I asked her, I said, what happens with these palm trees that are just kind of out in the landscape? And Because there's a gentleman here that lives in Sunset Hills that actually has palm trees in his yard, and he builds a greenhouse over them every wintertime. But uh, she, my jaw dropped when she told me this. She said these trees are shipped in from Florida on trucks. And so when the season's over, when it starts getting cold, what they're going to do is they left them in containers, just dug a hole, dropped them down in containers. They're going to pull them up with a crane and put them on trucks, and they're going to ship them back to Florida. I thought, what in the world? This just seems totally wild and crazy. It was kind of interesting to see all these palm trees and everything within the annual plantings, but my goodness gracious, tractor-trailer palm trees back and forth between New York City Botanical Garden, or New York, sorry, not New York City, and uh, 
you know, Florida. Just unbelievable. I thought maybe they had a greenhouse where they stored them or anything, something like that. No, nothing like that. And uh, we went to four days in New York City, and then we went to Long Island for four days as well. On, on Long Island, we went out to Fire Island, which there's a town out there called Kismet. Kismet is a town where people that live there can't even really drive cars. So it's pretty much a pedestrian type thing. They can drive cars, but they basically don't. And that was kind of a wild, you know, wild circumstance just in general. Other things on the walk from Firehouse Island, you know, to Kismet, th- there was so much poison ivy. And it's turning red in New York right now, at least on, you know, Fire Island, which is a part, just off Long Island. But, uh, it was unbelievable how much poison ivy. And this is on sand dunes and everything else. Two other things that are growing there prolifically is junipers. And there's, I don't know the variety of pine that's growing there, but that was the main dominant plant materials besides, you know, seaside grandmas and the grasses and things like that. And they use the grasses. There's one variety of grass whose root system can go down like almost 20 feet to sort of minimize the erosion on the sand dunes. So anyway, that's where we were last week, New York City, four days, and then Long Island for four days. So it was great fun. And that I still can't get over that shipping the palms and tropical trees back to Florida every year. That just seems unbelievable. So let's take some calls now. Let's go to Jim, and Jim is in St. Peter's. Hi, Jim. Hey, good morning, Mike. Uh just a quick question. I know we've talked or you've talked before about uh, chickweed and nuts edge and those crazy weeds. Are those an annual or if I do not use a pre-emergent, will they be in my yard next year? If you got them in your yard this year, you better believe you'll have them next year. And <laughs> the crabgrass this year has been prolific. In my neighborhood, I take walks every morning. There's some yards that have nothing but crabgrass. If you don't know what crabgrass is, it's very flat on the ground, and also then it sends up a shoot, and then it kind of looks like just kind of, I guess, a bird's foot. And that each one of those little bird feet toes has about 50 or 60 seeds. So, and the nutgrass, not quite the same, but, uh, you know, basically. And the, with the nut sedge, it's, uh, it's, it's an annual, but also it can be perennial, too. So that's not something that putting a pre-emergent down is going to get rid of. That's something you should treat with, like, a product called Sedge Ender, spraying it on it directly. And this late in the season, the waxy cuticle on the surface of pretty much anything kind of minimizes the impact that the herbicide is going to have. But for the crabgrass and things like that, you want to put your, herbis- or your pre-emergent down a little bit uh, earlier in the year. You want to put it down let's say, around the time when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. Also, along with the crabgrass, there's goosegrass, there's carpet weed, there's some of the knotweeds, purslane, ragweed, spurges. There's all kinds of different spurges. So that's the warm season annual grass that you put the pre-emergent down in the springtime when the forsythia is in bloom. Okay, so that's, that's my option. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Sure. The other option is a hand dig. You know, down. I somebody yeah. sent me an email and she said, "I'm one of the people that get down on my hands and knees and dig." And I said, "Well, I do the same thing a lot of the times, but it can be a lot of work." So thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Now let's go to Jim, and Jim is from Chesterfield. Hi, Jim. Oops. Sorry. <laughs> Hi, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So I've got uh, some crepe myrtles that I've had for a number of years, and they're like they've been like five, six feet tall. These beautiful blooms that last for a very long time. And about two years ago, they got attacked by what I call the black plague. It's a, uh, it's uh, I guess it's a fungus of some kind. You can actually rub it off of the leaves, but of course then it makes the it, the plant still grows. It actually killed off a couple of them, but the rest of them grow. But they're very dwarfed as a result. Is there something I can like spray on them? Because this this last fall, this winter, because they go dormant in the wintertime, we cut right. them down to about two feet, and they the some of them resprouted that are in a different area that are doing fine. The others have grown up. They've come out and sprouted. Now the, the black plague is back, so I want to get some idea how I deal with that. Basically, any kind of fungus, usually foliar fungus, doesn't is not totally detrimental, and crepe myrtles are not prone to it. 
So, but uh, what you need to do is before you ever see any fungus at all, and this is for any type of fungus, you do an application of a fungicide. Go to your favorite garden center and tell them you've got problems with foliar, whatever it is happens to be, uh, on your crepe myrtles, and they will recommend what, you know, out of the products they have, what to spray. So you're doing this before you ever see the fungus. Then you're going to do it another application in about two weeks, then another application in about another two weeks. So you're going to do about four applications. That should eradicate, you know, the problem. And uh, that's probably the best way to go about it. Okay. I got, I got one other thing. Sure. I've got an elm tree that's, I think it's maybe 25, 30 years old. But I noticed this in the last year or so, about four feet from the trunk, uh, there's like a perfect circle on the grass that's a bare, it's a bare spot, basically, where the grass is uh, not growing. Do you have any idea what that might actually be? That's basically right underneath that area where you're not getting any lawn to grow. It's almost solid wood because all trees have the majority of their root systems go lateral out from the trunk. And that's where the feeder roots are and everything else. So if you dug around in there, you're going to find there's a heck of a lot of wood. And that's just wood from the root system of the tree. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. I enjoy the show. Well, thank you. And basically, that's why people put mulch around their trees or do hosta or ferns or ground covers or things like that, because that those type of plants can interact with the root system better than lawn. Lawn can't. And even if there's sun hitting it or anything else, successful lawn underneath trees is rough at best. Well, it's, what's, what's strange about this is that the three feet between three four feet between the trunk and the and the grass it's it's all grassy it's all of a sudden has this ring where it's like a bare spot that's maybe maybe four inches wide it's like a perfect circle around it that's probably the same for the same reason you described but it's yeah it's not like the whole base of the tree is bare because the grass is growing there but the uh, this one particular spot is kind of strange yeah but I bet okay. you know slowly but surely that grass that you that you're seeing up near the trunk will disappear. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Certainly. Go on. And now let's go and see what's going on with Claire. Hi, Claire. Good morning. Hi. Uh, listening to your trip makes me want to go on vacation myself. <laughs> so my question to you is, how did your house plants survive? House plants? Well, everything outside. Actually, you know, I was sort of like. <sighs> You know, when we left, because we yeah. got all kinds of potted plants, cannas, elephant ears, all kinds of stuff. But uh, rain. So thank goodness there was some rain while we were gone. Uh, the only thing that happened was I, I'm, I fool around with stuff. So anyway, I have a large pot, and I set a smaller pot of cannas and elephant ears in that. And uh, it, apparently there was some strong winds, and that thing got you know knocked off. But beyond that, that's about the only damage that happened. Everything looks pretty darn good. Okay, well, I'm talking about house plants, the plants that you have inside. I don't have any. I don't keep you any don't plants. You don't have any? No, I keep. Oh, I, I can't put, believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I move them all. Well, I do. I have a cyclamen that uh, I've had for multiple years, con- continues to bloom all the time. It's went fine, and then I have a couple of orchids. Okay, so the orchids survived the oh, yeah. no duration? Problem. Okay. I do have a bonsai, and it seems like it needs to be watered. You know, every couple of days, so maybe I just need to give that to a friend to kind of, like, bonsai sit it. <laughs> <laughs> you could certainly do that. Just make okay. sure that... Uh, I thought maybe you'd have some ingenious idea of hooking up, you know, water lines or something to the pots or no, something like that. nothing like that. But they do have those glass balls with a long tube that kind of looks like a straw that you can fill the glass ball with that water and then stick it into the pot. <gasps> Okay, now, that's a good, great suggestion. So I don't okay. know, you know, depending upon how big the ball is, is how long it's going to water. And uh, it just kind of, when the water pressure, you know, in the soil or growing medium mm-hmm. uh, basically r- drops, then it lets just sort of like a drip of water out at a time. So it's not like okay. it's all going to come flooding out at once. But that is so interesting. I thought being a garden man, you'd have all these house plants also. <laughs> no, I move them all outside. Okay, I might give that some consideration. Yeah, they need fresh air, just like me. Okay, thank you so much. Certainly. Bye. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, if you do have a problem in your lawn, you can't remember, let's see, it was like four, five, six months ago 
with the cool season annual weeds, the pre-emergent needs to go down now. Basically, from mid-August to late August, what that does, what a pre-emergent does is creates a chemical barrier on the surface of the soil. So any seed, regardless of what type it is, that germinates is killed instantly. So you can't put a pre-emergent down if you're planning on spreading grass seed in your lawn area. That doesn't go together. You're just, well, I mean, the companies love it because the grass seed company, you're, you're going to have to buy more grass seed and everything else. But the cool season annual weeds that you're putting the pre-emergent down now to get rid of is like henbit, annual bluegrass, chickweed, those type things. Not the so that's two times a year when you should be should be putting a pre-emergent down, and uh, if you don't, well, the, maybe you're not. You're like my father, as I, I say many times. My father, you know, growing up in Ellisville, we had a pretty large yard, and uh, to him, if it was green, it was fine. He could care less what there was there. Now that what did have some advantage to you know for us because we had a, a actual bulb that came up called Spring Beauty. And our yard would, on one side, would be covered with spring beauty flowers. So that was to that our advantage at that time. Let's go back to the phones. And if you do have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Denny lives in Highland, Illinois. Hi, Denny. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Um, two questions. Uh, first of all, I had an exceptionally bad year for grubs this year. And it seems to me, looking back over the years, that I have much uh, a more significant problem in the really sunny areas versus the shady areas. Is there a relationship between sun and grubs? Not necessarily. It's just where, you know, where the eggs are actually laid. So it's just, you know, I mean, it's basically a, be- a larvae of a beetle. And there's five different types that make, you know, the grubs five different types of beetles. So uh-huh. it's not necessarily related to sun or shade or anything else. I will tell you, if you've had a problem, you can put the grub X down now because they're yeah, still up near the surface. I, I just did. Okay, about a week ago, so I did that. Thank you. Second question, I've got a hard maple in the front of my yard that um, is, is looking rather thin and, and the leaves are looking yellow. And I know you've talked about this many times in the past. I just want to confirm it, but I... I think we we drill some holes around the diameter of the drip line, correct? Right. And then uh, we fill those with compost. And I think you've suggested to uh, for the yellow to add some iron sulfate to it. That would certainly help. Now, if the if the root system of the tree is not really in good shape, in other words, the feeder roots, that's what uptakes the nutrients that you're talking about with the iron sulfate. What you're doing by drilling holes, augering holes, and backfilling them with compost, you're feeding the soil so that it doesn't have a direct impact on the tree in and of itself. What it does is make your soil better, and then that should make your tree healthy. But it's not something that's going to happen instantaneously, either one of those. Right. Did I also understand you suggest uh, also augering holes about halfway between the drip line and the trunk? Right. Basically, go out halfway from the trunk to the drip line, auger holes, concentric circle all the way around about two feet apart. Then go out another foot or two, then another series of holes, then another series of holes, and then just go beyond the drip line, you know, maybe a foot or two. Okay. I think that does it for me. Thanks for your help, Mike. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. Let's head down and see what's going on in Betty's yard, and Betty lives in Festus. Hi, Betty. I um, have a question about uh, crepe myrtle and my uh, Jane Magnolia. When can I cut those back? Basically, the crepe myrtle, the magnolia you prune now in your... Do you have any flower buds on the magnolia? Do you know what the... Uh, on the magnolia, I don't have any flower buds, no. None at all. So I no. was then I would leave it alone anyway. So unless why do you want to prune it? Because I don't want it to get too tall. <laughs> uh, is it? I would say leave it alone. How long is it? Well, let me put it this way. How long has it been in the ground? About three years. I would say no pruning for another couple of years. 
Oh, on the Jane Magnolia. Right, because okay. what, what you're trying to do is get a strong, big, healthy, robust root system. And to get that to happen, you need as much foliage as you possibly can get because nutrients come up through the root system to the leaves, and then the leaves use sunlight to make chlorophyll, and that's what makes a tree healthy. So if you start oh, okay. reducing the amount of leaves, then that's going to slow this whole process down. With a crepe okay. myrtle, you can prune it any time after it finishes flowering before the new growth begins in the springtime. Not the flowering buds, but even the foliage. So you've got about six months to prune the crepe myrtle. So when they finish flowering, you can cut them and then you know, let them, leave them alone after that point. Okay. Well, what about, uh, can you dig from the bottom of that and... Uh, get roots and start another one? I would say that's a lot more work than just going to your favorite garden center and spending a couple bucks for a plant in a pot. You can okay. you can take divisions. You know, you can take cuttings using a rooting hormone of the stems, all this other stuff, but it is a very long, involved process to have success. Okay. Okay, well, thank you very much then. Well, thank you. And again, thanks for having me on your show. Let's head out to Wildwood and see what's going on with John. Hi, John. Uh, good morning. Um, I'd like to take your advice and do some things now for my lawn that will make it look good next year. And I've thought about, uh, I, I've got a lot of uh, crabgrass and other weeds. So I thought about doing a power raking. I thought about aeration, uh, overseeding or top seeding, uh, fertilizer, um, what kinds of things would you recommend and what steps would I take in what order? Uh, basically, I would core aerate. I would you know, put some t- about a top dressing like I talked about, which is compost about a quarter to a half inch deep after your core aerate. Then I'd put grass seed down and then I would probably put a seed starter type fertilizer. Okay, and can I do those all like in one day? Well, you're not. I don't know how big you live in Wildwood, so I don't know how big your yard is, but uh, that would be a lot of work for one day. I would say you're probably better off not to do it in one day. I'd correlate and get the top dressing done in one day, then put the seed out with a seed starter fertilizer, and then at the end, you're going to have to water everything in, and just with new seed, you're going to have to water every day for a couple weeks until that seed germinates. Okay, well, I don't have the capacity to water everything, uh, certainly not every day. Um, so does that mean I shouldn't uh, put seed down? Would it be a waste of time? Uh, well, I mean, if you want a thicker lawn, that's the only way to get it. I would say pick the areas in your landscape that's mo- aesthetically most important to you. If it's looking out a window, if it's when you pull in your driveway, go after those areas. The other areas, you know, just leave alone. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate your help. Sure. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, again, too, if you have a lot of weeds that are in the, your landscape, your lawn right now, those are the ones that you get, it on, get under control by putting the pre-emergent down in the springtime. We're going to Fenton for the first time today and see what's going on with Vince. Yeah, Mike? Yes. Yeah, uh, Mike, uh, I think I'm going to have to give up on the pre-emergent uh, I, uh, I did put down the pre-emergent uh, down here in Fenton, but in the last 10 days, we've had three floods <laughs> come through, and I think it's probably washed it all away, don't you think? It could have, but, uh, I mean, it does, you know, basically you need to water it down anyway to start melting it. But uh, well, No, I mean, it was, a, it was a spray I put down. Oh, okay. Uh, and so uh, to keep putting spray out there and having these heavy rains come in, I don't know that how how much they can handle that. Um, you know, it's you know, sort of a roll of the dice. Let's put it that way. Uh huh. And also, with all this heavy rain, I get mulch from around my tree wash into my yard. Should I worry about these small pieces of wood in my yard getting them out of there? Uh, basically, if are you cutting your grass or somebody cutting your grass? Generally, no, I, I cut I cut the grass myself. Yeah, probably you're chopping up those pieces of wood. So it's as long as you don't get big piles of it, you know, congregating in one place. Then you should, you know, occasional pieces doesn't mean all that much. Okay, okay. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you've got moms, you've been pinching them and everything else, 
Don't pinch him anymore. You should have stopped pinching him actually a month ago. But you should continue to fertilize. Anything like anemones and things like that that are fall bloomers, either in flower now or budded, fertilize them. Fertilize, fertilize. It's very, very important. Let's go to Dix, Illinois, and talk with Bob. Hi, Bob. Yeah, I'm on to know if I should fertilize my apple trees for over the winter. Uh, basically, no. Especially not fertilizing. If you wanted to auger some holes and then put compost to feed the soil, yes, fertilizing. What you could do is you could trigger some growth in midwinter because of the food that you're sending into them, and it could crack the buds open a little bit and cause some major damage. So do not do not fertilize going into winter time. When is the best time to fertilize? Come out when we're coming out of winter, right? As in before the new growth begins, or just as it's beginning, then it has it can use all the nutrients from your fertilizer all season long for flowering, for leaf uh, emergence, and then for fruit production. Okay, thank you. Yep. And let's go to George, and he's in Sunset Hills. Hi, George. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Very I, good. Just, I, I got to make a couple of comments, and I have a couple of questions. Most of them get answered before I even talk to you. <laughs> but uh, you got to have the most informative program on, on the radio. It's unbelievable <laughs> to me, and uh, I appreciate that. Uh, the other thing is I can tell how successful you are because you have so many darn advertisers. At any rate, just answer the question about the fruit trees. When when I do fertilize, though, uh, you know, I usually just broadcast spread it on my roses or plants. I should be putting auger holes when I fertilize? No, fertilizing is not with auger holes. Basically, auger holes is to put compost in to feed your soil. So okay. fertilizer can, okay. you know, can be a granular type thing. It can be liquid. You know, it doesn't really matter. That just goes on the surface and then sinks down in. Okay. Then uh, I have Rosa Sharon's, and uh, they get, they're literally out of control. Uh, can I prune them now, or should I wait until all the buds are gone? Well, basically, if you prune them now, you're cutting off all the flowers that you could enjoy right. for another two months. So right, that's a disadvantage. Right. It won't hurt them necessarily. It's just that you're growing them for flowers, then you're eliminating the flowers. Okay, so I just wait till the fall. Yeah, when I'm done to yeah. prune them back. Yeah, just wait till I mean, basically the majority of the foliage has dropped off, or they've stopped flowering. Then prune them, and then you got all the way up until the new growth begins, probably sometime in mid March next year. So you got about six months of time to do the pruning. And then the last question, I'm. I planted about uh, five different fruit trees ooh, three years ago. Now, I have pears coming out uh, now, but the others, they bloomed, but no no fruit. It is What am I doing wrong here? You're not doing anything wrong. Actually, a three-year-old tree, you shouldn't allow it to set fruit. It's too young. So the pear tree oh. is like... Like rushing ahead faster than it should. The ones that are not, they're flowering but not setting fruit, that's to the advantage of the tree overall. Fruiting on a fruit tree is really stressful. So, consequently, you know, you got to get, you can't, you shouldn't allow it. So, get the pears off the, the pear tree. Very good. Great. Thank you very much. Very Certainly. good. My pleasure. Yeah, with all trees, I don't know what type you had, but there are dwarf. They're semi-dwarf and they're standard trees. The semi, the dwarf trees start bearing fruit at about the, let them start bearing fruit at about five years. The semi-dwarf at about seven years. The standard tree, you got to let go about eight or so years before you let it bear fruit. Because if you do, if you have it bearing fruit before that, it, it takes a lot of energy, and then consequently it can weaken the tree because especially here, where we have such screwy weather. That's in combination with the fruit production can be really, really detrimental to the fruit trees. So any tree that's not been in it, if it's a dwarf tree and it's not hasn't been in the ground for five years, eliminate any kind of fruit that's set because you overall you want a long time growth and production out of the tree. So just realize that. We do have another hour of the garden hotline coming up. So Barbara, Rick, Alex, Joan, and May, if you could hold on. And if anybody else has any questions, 
1-800-925-1120. Or 1-800-925-1120. I will see you. Ah, I got to waste some time. Got to waste some more time. Time, 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 time. Now, see you after the news. OX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Tip of the Trial Hour, and I'll be giving it shortly, but right now, uh, Mr. Kelly. Yes. You seeing the hummingbirds migrate? Because you guys put out a lot yeah. of humming for Boy, they're going through. We got three feeders. One's a double feeder. And they empty about every day. We have to fill them up. But every Whoa. day and a half. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. If I'm not on it, they will empty out in a real hurry. Man, oh, yeah, man. It's fun. We get a couple you know, a couple each day, but nothing like that. Yeah, we'll get about 16 to 20 in that range at, at the peak. Really? And I think we're, we're pretty close to that, yeah. Really? That's yeah, great. How about is. butterflies? A lot, a lot of butterflies. Yeah, we have a lot of butterfly bushes and different plants that draw them. We got a lot of bees. Which, uh, you know, we like those now. Remember when you are a kid, you'd kill them anytime you could because you were afraid they are going to attack you? No, no, they're good. They're cool. Well, not so, only yeah. that. As adults, when we were in New York, we were eating, you know, at a, actually a place along the coast, which we didn't think there would be all many that many bees. But sure. there were because they were coming after your food. And uh, there was yeah. somebody that kept a menu, and he was pounding <laughs> bees with his menu. It was like, good Lord, buddy. No, you're not supposed to hurt the bees, you know. <laughs> right. We need those. Yeah, right. Yes. Exactly. So you just got to, you know, just got to brush them off your food before you eat it. That's, right. you know, be careful now. Well, that's great about the hummingbirds because, yeah. you know, I know you guys put out a lot of feeders. Yeah. it's so, They're so fun. So yeah. do you have a special formula as far as? No, it's just uh, one cup of sugar, four cups of water. Now, I've always boiled it up until now. And then Sue Red, where you didn't have to do that. So I, I just put kind of warm water in there. I shake it for at least 20 seconds, maybe 30. Shake it up real good, and they seem to like it. So, yeah, that, that you know, now you can just make it and put it out right away. You don't have to wait for it to cool or anything. So it's great. Great. Yeah, well, very glad simple. Glad to hear it. No, don't put any uh, dye in it. You no. don't need that. Right. Yeah, just sugar and water. Right. They can sense it. Yes, for sure. <laughs> well, folks, if you have any questions or concerns, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your ideas, concerns, comments, or uh, whatever, questions. By the way, thanks for having me on your show, where we're going to be able to discuss plant cares, ups and downs, and all arounds for your annuals. Your annuals should still be looking very, very good. If they've started to elongate or if your coleus or some of them that you don't anticipate flowering, you're growing for the foliage color, get rid of those flowers because once they start flowering, it could really sort of trigger a downhill slide for them. Your bulbs, this is a time of year where you should you know, be getting your bulbs like from Brightside St. Louis or something like that. Don't get them in the ground yet. It's a little bit too early. But uh, your cool season vegetables, your ground cover, your houseplants, Check them, start checking them. You know, you don't have to check every day, but every couple days looking for any kind of insects. Basically, always check the underside of the leaf as well as the top of the leaf and the stems both. Your perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I like sharing my thoughts, but please, again, remember my answers, comments, and opinions. It's not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered to you. Alex is across the bar, across the big board, and Carl's in answering the phone. So when you call, just tell Carl your name, where you're calling from, and that's all he really needs to know. And uh, guess what, folks? Whether you're, I can come to your home and take a look. I'm going to Granite City after the show today, and we can talk about aesthetic problems, you know, or real problems. And especially, this is a great day, you know, after a hard rain like last night because it can re- really give some evidence on why you're having certain problems or your landscape is within certain areas because of the wetness in that circumstance. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, where my phone number, email is right there, and you can contact me, and we'll schedule a walk and talk. Tip of the Trowel is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the Trowel, St. Nicholas, Greek Fest. Tracy and I have been going for years and years and years on Labor Day weekend, so we're going to be doing that again, and probably every couple years we go to the art fair in Queenie Park also. And remember, the Japanese festival is at the Botanical Garden also. 
But this, not this weekend necessarily, but on September 6th, you can go out to the Shaw Arboretum, which is in Gray Summit, and they're having a wildflower market. You can choose from the widest selection of native plants available in the St. Louis area at Shaw Nature Reserve Wildflower Market. And it's on a Friday. I was a little surprised that it was on a Friday, but uh, 2 to 7. So you can go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website, get more information on that if you need it. But a perfect time of year to be getting some wildflowers and getting them installed into the ground. So, again, if you do have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's go over and see what's going on in Barbara's yard, and she lives in Belleville. Hi, Barbara. Hello. Hi. Um, got a question about a wisteria plant. Okay. I received the plant last October, and it came as a dormant stick about four inches long. Right. And I put it in a pot, kept it inside, and about March it started to get new branches. And it grew, outgrew the pot about May, so I transplanted it into a flower bed and put a trellis behind it to support it. And now it's about 12 feet tall. Right. I mean, it just looks beautiful and it's really healthy. Do you recommend cutting this back? This is the first year. I would say no. I would say let it go, but understand wisteria gets to be huge. Right. I mean, I guess you understand what the plant can do. Oh, and yeah. It, it can tear apart trellises. It can tear apart arbors. It can tear apart everything as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So hopefully you put it in a spot where it's not going to you know, cause you know, too much damage. Correct. And then uh, when you do cut it back, you recommend not the first year, so I take it probably the second year cut it back? Well, you don't. If you're just cutting it back for the sake of cutting it back, then I would say don't bother. If you've got enough space to let it go, just let it go because it's going to take several years before you're going to get any flowers off of off of it at all. And consequently, if you keep pruning it, that could kind of disrupt the actual you know blooming sequence. If you're just growing it because it's an aggressive growing vine, that's fine. You can prune it whenever you want to. But if you wanted to get some of the blue flowers on it, it's I would say stay away from pruning as much as possible. Okay, that makes sense. Got it. one other question. I'm looking at transplanting a bunch of ferns. Is the, is fall a better time to transplant these ferns? Anything is you know actually insulation or transplanting fall is a great time. The reason for that is make anything that you're going to transplant, make sure you water it really well the night before. But the ground is really warm, and what that does is actually cause, triggers root system growth. And then just get it done quickly, put some mulch around them, but uh, this is an ideal time to do it. Okay, sounds great. I appreciate all the information. Thank you. And now let's go to Duple, Illinois. Hi, Rick. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. Great show. Hey, I got a question about uh, crepe myrtle. When should I prune them? Basically after they flower. When they're finished flowering, you got to all. You can prune them right at that time, and then prune them before next year's new foliage starts coming out. So you got you know about four or five months to get them pruned. And, and, well, they're about how tall do you how short do you prune them down? You know these are about chest high. Well, you don't have to prune them at all. You don't? No, pruning is strictly a personal thing. It's kind of like uh, haircuts. Some people like really short hair. Some people like longer hair, blah, 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 blah. So with a crepe myrtle, there's some in the city that are almost two stories high. Right. Well, I'm not wanting them to get that tall, right. you know, but. I would say just, you know, if, wait until they're to the point where you want to cut them because they're blocking a view out of a window or whatever it happens to be, or they're so tall you can't even really see the flowers, then I'd prune them at that juncture of time. Gotcha. And one more question, Mike. Uh, Bermuda grass, when's the best time to, to spray for that? It's a little bit late because it's starting to slow down. So next year, as soon as you start to see that spot green up, go after it right then. Right then. Too late now. Yeah, I mean, it may be somewhat effective. But like I say, the zoises and the Bermudas, the warm season grasses are really starting to slow a little bit. So, consequently, the absorption of the herbicide that you're trying to kill it with, if you have the herbicide and you want to go ahead and do it, you can, but I wouldn't go out necessarily and buy the herbicide to do it because then you're going to have to store it in your garage and it may freeze, may cause some, you know, chemical damage to the herbicide. 
But if you got it there ready to go, go ahead and do it. But don't expect it to be – it's going to take probably several applications anyway to get rid of it. Yeah. Now, now after you spray it the first time in the spring, can you spray it again? Or? Absolutely. Stay on top of it. I got you. All right. Well, thank you. Great show. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Joan lives in Manchester. Hi, Joan. Hello, Joan. We our uh, lawn for uh, broadleaf and grassy weed, and they also applied a slow-release fertilizer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it said to water it in, but last night we had a tremendous rain here, right. um, three inches in like a sh- very short period of time. Am I likely to see any benefits from that application? You probably should. I mean, was it granular that they put down? I think it was, yes. Yeah, if it was granular, it was fine. If it was a liquid you know, application, it could have been diluted a lot. Okay. So, well, I'll verify then what it was uh, because it, it was just a torrential downpour here, and the water was just flowing, you know, off and on. It was everywhere, all, you know, as far as I know, across the entire metropolitan area. Then it kind of stopped, and then it started up again, but not quite as torrential. Exactly. Okay, well, I'll check with him and see what he did then and uh, go from there. Okay, great. Thank you, Mike. Sure. And now let's go down to Perryville and go into May's yard. Hi, May. Hi. Mike, I've been gardening for years and years, and I learn something every time I listen to you. So I listen every Saturday. <laughs> thanks a bunch. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Uh, my question, I was given a hibiscus tree, and I've never had one. And I have good luck with the regular perennial hibiscus. In fact, they were beautiful this year. Yes, they were. But... This tree, where do I plant it, and what does it need? Full sun, part sun. Now, is this and how a, do I take care of it? Is this a true hibiscus, or is this a rosa sharon? Uh, I'm sure it's a hibiscus. Well, then I it's haven't... not. It's not hardy for outside. This has to be a house plant. Oh, it does. Yes. Oh my. Unless you want to kill it, then you can plant it outside and let the winter <laughs> kill it. Oh, it's already big. Yeah, right. And just understand, hibiscus really, to be honest with you, don't like inside. So put it in front of a bright, bright, the brightest window you have. Just wait until the, you know, look at the inside of the pot. When the potting mix starts shrinking away from the inside of the pot, you see a little gap there. Water it at that time. You're going to have to set the pot down in a saucer because the water is going to run down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can always leave a little bit of water in the saucer. Some people say, oh, it will cause problems. No, it won't. But just realize also when it's inside, it's going to start dropping leaves, and it will continue probably to drop foliage through most of the wintertime off and on. Oh, my. Yeah. I thought I had a wonderful gift there, but I think <laughs> I had a headache. <laughs> well, it is a great gift. It's just, uh, you know, some people look at them, wow, this is fantastic, but they don't realize they don't really do so well as houseplants, to be honest. Well, I'll try it for the first winter. And if it survives the winter, can I set it outside for the summer? Absolutely. It would love it back outside. <laughs> or if you know somebody for the wintertime that lives in Florida, you can ship it down to them. And then let them keep it for the winter time, and then they can ship it back up to you. <laughs> uh, not likely. <laughs> a couple more questions, real quick. I think uh, I have crepe myrtle, and when I think from listening earlier in your show today, you're supposed to fertilize crepe myrtle now. No, no, no! Don't fertilize them now. Basically, oh, oh, wait until next year. You know, just as the foliage starts coming up. And should I fertilize it once or through the summer? No, you don't have to repeat fertilizing. It is a shrub. If it's well-established, probably one or two applications of a fertilizer specifically for shrubs would be ideal. And now what about fertilizer and care of the old-fashioned iris? I have uh, our um, lilacs. I have three. And what are their requirements? As far as fertilizer, uh, uh, they would like a fertilizer that has some calcium. They want to. They like alkaline soils, so they don't want. You know, they don't want a fertilizer for acid-loving plants. And uh, you can fertilize them again as you were coming out of wintertime is the best time to do it. Oh, and again, once or through the summer? No, not 
not repeated. You know, once or twice, and that should be adequate. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. I've learned some more today. <laughs> well, thank you. And now let's go to Afton. And Mick, how are you today? Uh, doing great. Thanks for your show. The um, question is about butterfly bushes. So we had one. It did really well for many years. It flourished, and we really enjoyed it. Then one winter it died. And um, so we went to replace it in 2018, in, uh, planted, I believe, in May or June. And then um, that one did not survive the winter. And then so now we're uh, at 2019, we planted again this spring another butterfly bush, and it's not looking well. In fact, the last two, it almost appears as though they're not rooting or something. It's, it's like the one in 2018 kind of fell over. And this one that we planted this past spring, is it looks like it's about to flop over, too. Um, so I don't quite know what, what to do. If, if Do we have a bad location, or or what would you suggest? I, I would say it's probably a bad location. It has to be very, very, very well-drained soil. Anything that has gray foliage on it, which the butterfly bushes do, uh, not totally gray, but gray-green, they have to have a really extremely well-drained soil spot. Also, when you dig the hole, when you're installing it, three times the diameter of the root ball, but only 80% is deep. So the top 20% of the root ball is above the surrounding ground. One or two inches of mulch, and that should be adequate. Okay. So I have actually wondered if maybe I put too much compost in when I planted the last two. But you, you, you could think have. That would- be part of the problem? Or? Yeah, you certainly could have. I mean, mm-hmm. it's good to sort of blend it in together, but yeah. you don't want to overdo it because, mm-hmm. you know, if you have a whole lot of compost, it could have a tendency to hold moisture because mm-hmm. that's part of the, the benefit of compost. But yeah. if it holds too much moisture for a plant that doesn't like moisture, then yeah. you're drowning it. Yeah, you know, the one last year when I pulled it out, I did look at the roots and I thought it looks like the roots had kind of rotted a little bit. Yeah, so that's probably what you're doing. So Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yep. So, oh, oh, one more question. Is fall a good time to plant a butterfly bush, or is it better to wait till the spring? Uh, fall is the best time if you can get it in the ground soon because, again, as I explained last hour, the ground is warm right now, so it can cause you know good root growth, or it triggers root growth, and that gets them ready for winter. Availability for butterfly bush, that might be the problem. Okay. Yeah, the one that's there now is actually still alive. I may try to transplant it, um, just and then re, you know, configure the dirt and this, this kind of thing to make sure that it's got a little bit better uh, dirt around it. Right. That. So I may I may try to do that and then figure out something. Yeah, and just make sure twenty percent of the root ball is above the surrounding ground. So in other words, where the root system and this, you know, the stems coming up out of the ground, mm-hmm. where they meet, that's got to be above the surrounding ground to help with the drainage. Yeah. Okay. Great. All right. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate Certainly. it. Let's go now into Lee's yard. Hi, Lee. Uh, yes. I want to know what to do with coneflowers. The yellow finch, have it re, uh, enjoyed eating on them. Uh, do I cut them back? Uh, they're st- the finches are still eating them, so I would leave them alone until... Well, they're, they're all brown. Well, that's okay. That's the seeds. Well, it didn't look like that when they were eating them. Uh, okay, so... <laughs> Yeah, they're still eating them. There's still seeds there. If they bother you because of where they're planted or anything else, you want to cut them back, that's fine. But it's, I mean, I've got some on sort of the alley side of my garage. And, yeah, they've certainly gone downhill. I have purple coneflowers. But there's still okay. seeds on there. And okay, what, so- what can happen, too, is if they don't eat all the seeds, they're dropping seeds, and those seeds could germinate and create more plants next year. Okay, so I don't cut them back at all? Well, I would say... You'd want to cut them back because they look kind of ugly during the wintertime. Well, I don't care. So, I don't care about that. Oh, you don't? Then leave them alone. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank My- you. And the crepe myrtle, you can, uh, how can you make them into more of a bush than a tall tree? Uh, base, if it's got a single trunk, then you're going to have real trouble. No, I got twisted. I got, it's, it's pretty old. Uh, and, and another one has just got way outreaching uh, uh, way outreaching. Uh, I just wonder how I could get it not to be so outreaching. So what you can do is again wait till it finished flowering, and then cut it. Uh, cut about a third of it off to c- kind of create more of a let's say density to the thing. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Certainly. 
Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, let's head over to Bill's yard, and he lives in North County. Hi, Bill. Morning, Mike. Hi. I have a couple of lo- very large white hydrangeas, and they're they're awesome. But they've just gotten so big and out of hand. Is the white one okay to trim back? I know you can't do the pink. Well, they all can be pruned. It's just you might disrupt the flowering cycle. So okay. let them you know, let them finish, you know, and then go ahead and prune them going into you know going into winter time. Okay. But, you know, the best thing to do, and this is for not just you, for anybody, take a look at genetically, you know, how big a plant's going to get, and that should be a really determining factor on where you have to, you know, install it in your landscape because some things get a lot more huge than what we anticipate. So it sounds like you've had great growth and everything else. So uh, cutting it back, good luck with it. It should be okay, but uh, just, you know, keep your fingers crossed. Okay, thanks. Yep. Because a lot of times when the hydrangeas get older, they have a tendency to kind of just stop flowering on their own. And then the pruning can kind of sort of trigger that sometimes. Let's go, mm-hmm. let's go now. Let's stay in North County, but go to Hazelwood and into Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Hi. How are you doing? Very good. Two quick questions. One is with um, poison ivy spray and just yanking them up. I've gotten a lot of poison ivy up. The birds are doing a great job of distributing them. Um, what do I do to dispose of the poison ivy? I certainly don't want to hurt anybody else by, you know, putting it in yard waste or something. I'm just not sure what to do. Well, you can put it in yard waste. There's nothing else you can do. I mean, you can't put it in trash or anything else. Just, you know, just be careful. And, uh, or if you get a systemic type, you know, poison ivy killer, that kills it, you know, all the way down through the root system. Then you have no debris to get rid of. Okay. Um, the second question is, I get mushrooms that just sprout up in my front yard. Is there anything I can do to make that stop happening? No. Basically, mushrooms grow on dead stuff, either meaning yeah. thatch, you know, so in other words, you don't bag your clippings, or there's root systems of shrubs or trees that have died, and that's what they're growing off of. Okay, so nothing I can do to no. stop it. Yeah, go out there, right. and, go out there and kick them if you want to. I, that's what I do. All right. <laughs> okay. Very good. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. The mushrooms this time of year. I mean, I've there's uh, I know in my uh, you know neighborhood for the most part, I know people's dogs' names and I know the plants they have, but I don't know their names. So anyway, Lucy's a dog. She has one of the biggest mushrooms growing in her yard that I've ever seen. So. It's Lynn is in Barnhart. Hi, Lynn. Yes. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much. I love your show. Um, it's obvious that I am an amateur gardener listening to all of these calls. Uh, my question is about cactus. Um, and it's not about the Christmas cactus because I can handle those. Um, I have a cactus and it is definitely a, uh, a spiky one, but it's growing. It, it's sort of deformed at this point, And I think I need to probably be cutting some of them off and replanting this morning i watched several like an hour's worth of youtube but left me more confused than ever um is there a place that i can actually take my cactus and have them work on it i don't know of any cactus cactus doctor i don't need no what you can do is probably the best thing is contact the st louis cactus society and then, you know, let them know what's going on and see if if maybe there's nothing you can do to change this. You know, maybe this is just the genetics of it. But uh, the St. Louis, you can go to the Missouri Botanical Garden. They meet there at the Botanical Garden. So in the website for Missouri Botanical Garden, it should have a list of all the plant societies. And just contact the St. Louis Cactus Society. Perfect. At this time, I'm I'm fascinated by them, and I'm and I'm challenged. So I don't want this. You start to have a relationship with your plants, but you don't want them to die, or anything like that. So I'm very challenged to make this this thing uh, look good again. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Certainly, yeah. I mean, they're super knowledgeable people, basically in any plant society, but uh, the cactus society is one of the best. So let's go to Glenn Carbon and Mick. How are you? Hey, Mike. Hi. I've got a couple questions for you. We've got a uh, ornamental honeysuckle, a red one. It's on a trellis about five feet tall, eight feet wide. 
it's got other things growing in there along with it, a trumpet vine, and we saw some uh, morning glory yesterday. Can I can I cut that back now and try to get that out of there? So you want to get the honeysuckle out, or you want to get the other stuff out? We want the other stuff out. The honeysuckle looks great. Okay. Well, the morning glory is an annual. So next spring, right. as soon as you start to see it sprouting, coming up out of the ground, because it can self-seed, just put some herbicide on that. And the trumpet creeper, basically what you can do, you can't spray it, but I would just go ahead and, you know, if you're not opposed to using Roundup, just uh, cut it down as and leaving about six or eight inches or so of the trunk of the trumpet, you know, trumpet vine and cut it at a 45 degree angle, then get some Roundup for killing woody plants and paint it directly onto that open wound right after you cut it. Right, right. Yeah, these trumpet vines stem from a plant I had. Uh, God, I took it out probably 12, 14 years ago. Yeah. And they're still growing everywhere. Right. Basically, you didn't get rid of the entire root system. No, it's like 30 feet away and they're coming out of the ground. But, uh, <laughs> another another quick question. We sure. also planted a uh, blazing star yesterday. It was one that came out of another yard. It's about three feet tall, still has the uh, flower stems on it. Mm -hmm. We just transplanted it yesterday. Should I wait to trim that? Yeah, leave it alone. You know, next spring, maybe hit it then. Exactly. So you want to just you know keep everything as you know intact as much as you possibly can because it's been traumatized by the transplanting. So you right. start monkeying around with other things, and you could cause more problems than good. Very good. Okay. All right, Mike. Thank you so much. Certainly. Now let's go to Troy. Oh, one. Let's break. I guess we're going to take a break. So, Mike Miller, KM Walks the Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Reggie lives in Troy, Illinois. Reggie, how are you today? Hey, good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Hey, uh, I have a rose of Sharon. It's probably about 14 years old. This year, I noticed instead of it all being white, there was purple flowers on there. Is is that common or? It's not necessarily common, but it can. That's, uh, let's say, the original color of Rosa Sharon. Then it was hybridized by plant specialists and to make it white. But what it's doing, it's reverting back to what it originally was. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. And one more thing. The lady that had the hibiscus plant, I have a hibiscus plant that's probably almost close to 20 years. Uh, I put it out on the deck in the summer, and I bring it in before it gets too cold. You want to bring it in before it starts dropping into the 50s at night. Right. And same thing about putting it out, you know. But, uh, yeah, I've had mine for 20 years. But you're right. It doesn't do much on the inside, but it certainly comes back with summer hits. Right. Well, that's great. I'm glad you had the inside. In 20 years of hibiscus, that's uh, you're the pro. Oh, thanks, Mike. You have a good weekend. You do the very same thing. Now let's go from Troy to St. Charles. And, Linda, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you, Mike. Um, my question is about elephant ears. Uh, I had several that came out of the ground this year and um, that, well, I planted in the spring. But I don't know if I didn't plant them deep enough, but when we had that high wind a couple weeks ago, they kind of fell over, and the little sprouts that were coming up on the sides kind of died off. But I stood them back up, and I packed some dirt around them and hoped for the best. Um, but they're not doing real good. Uh, anything else I can do? or <laughs> Basically not. So when you said they fall over, I mean, are you just saying the leaves got bent? and No, the whole bulb. Wow. Lay down. Gee, so you didn't plant them deep enough. They should go down oh. about four to six inches. Oh, okay. So okay. that's what the problem it was. I, at first, I thought, well, the wind's going to break the, you know, I mean, sort of like <laughs> damage the foliage on them. But when you said they fell over, I thought, how can that be? So, yeah, you need to plant them deeper. Okay, okay. Um, also, when is the time for me to take them out of the ground? Whenever and- you, basically, they're going to start really slowing down. The new growth is going to stop. And since you're kind of disappointed with them, if you are, you could do that now. Or you could just wait probably until, let's say, the end of September, early October, and dig them up at that time. Okay. And then how how much do I cut off? 
You just cut off all the foliage. Okay. So you're going to end green. up with a bulb like what you purchased or what you bought. So it's going to look like a ball. Okay. Okay. And then just put it in a paper bag. You know, if you've got multiples, just kind of put newspaper in between them to keep them from touching each other, even mm-hmm. though that probably doesn't really hurt them all that much because when you buy them, they're all laying on top of each other in a cardboard box. <laughs> That's true. But, uh, I mean, we always make these things more complicated than we need to. And just put it at some, you know, someplace like in the basement. Okay. Okay. So the garage is a little too cold for Well, them. it might be. I've left some in the garage, and it depends upon the winter. And I've had them actually left them in potting mix in like a Rubbermaid tub, and they got damaged by the cold. Okay. So that may not happen, but it happened to me, so now I, you know, bring all mine inside. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, sure. My pleasure. And now let's go to Chesterfield. And, Harold, how are you? Hello, Mike. Hi. Uh, I have a problem with my uh, front yard with weeds. Uh, The service uh, sprayed it twice, and unfortunately the rain uh, got it each time. Uh, They want to come back and do it again, but I'd like to seed and aerate my yard uh, how long would I had to wait, and it will it be too late? Uh, might be, it probably won't be too late, but just find out what herbicide they're going to put down so you can sort of orchestrate. Usually, if it's not an herbicide that has any kind of, if it's like a contact killer herbicide, usually it's about two to three weeks after they've you know made the application of the herbicide that you should be able to get your grass seed down. But also, okay, maybe, could I just know, go ahead and do the grass seed and aerate and just let the weeds stay? I it's would mostly spurge. Uh, oh, so mostly spurge. Yeah, I yeah. would do that, and then next year when the forsythia is in bloom, put a pre-emergent down. Okay. Because that will get rid of the spurge is an annual weed. Okay. Okay, so I, I think I'll just uh, skip the uh, spray this time and uh, go right to the seed. Right. Seed. I want to ask you one other thing about monkey grass. We've always had really good prol- prolific uh, uh, monkey grass, but now... It seems like it's just small, and it's not very healthy-looking. Is there a problem? It could be age. Okay. So generally, you don't think of Larope or monkey grass or lily turf or whatever you want to call it, you know, declining, but that kind of sounds like, you know, what's happened, especially if you haven't fertilized or done anything sort of to its benefit. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. And, ooh, I don't know if we can get another one in. Uh, so Gary, Travis, and Ernest, sorry, we can't. We're basically out of time. In your yard, you know, take this weekend, start taking a look around, and especially especially in your lawn. A lot of the crabgrass is just prolific. I can't believe how wild and crazy, you know, it is throughout the metropolitan area. And if you've got a bunch of grass that's really flat on the ground that send up a spear and then spiky-looking, seedy-looking things, you've got crabgrass. There's really not too much you can do about it now. Basically, with crabgrass, you need to put a pre-emergent down next year when the forsythia is in bloom. So that's one of those warm-season annual weedy grasses that is just, I mean, it's unbelievable how much there is. But, uh, I mean, it's spread all over the place, and one of those little sticky things that comes off the stem, just look at it, how many seeds there are there. So just understand that. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I certainly appreciate everybody who called in. I certainly appreciate your comments. And I really enjoy you know, meeting with you each Saturday morning. So we'll keep doing it if we can. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.